the three passages we'll be reading this morning. The first, Exodus chapter 20, the first three verses. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And finally, from the Apostle Paul, Romans 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, my name is uh, Marshall. I'm the lead pastor here, the senior pastor. I'll be teaching on the verses that I just read. I do have one more announcement uh, real briefly. On January 22nd, we will have a uh, congregational meeting after the service. It will be brief. Uh, that is also very importantly, uh, probably more importantly in some ways, the teaching day for our Sunday school teachers, uh, and that starts at 1130. But right before that will be a congregational meeting. Uh, you will be uh, introduced to uh, candidates for the office of elder, as well as getting a year-end financial uh, update. So that is Everyone is welcome. Members are especially encouraged to attend after the service on January 22nd. Would you pray with me before we look at these passages of Scripture? God, when we hear words like law and sin, um, it's, some of us have different reactions to that. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as you know, Lord, and so I pray that you would meet us in the teaching of your word, that we would find life and hope and perhaps above all, love, the love of God in Christ Jesus, which is here manifold if we can get to it. Would you be with us, Lord, in the teaching of your word? We pray this for Christ's sake and in his name, amen. Well, if you've been with us, uh, in the fall, we did a kind of a two-part sermon series on amazing grace, amazing grace. And 
Uh, we looked at the life of Jacob in the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. We will be coming back both to finish uh, the book of Genesis, which is where Jacob's story is found, and the book of Romans, most likely in the first nine months or so of 2023. Uh, but for now, uh, we're doing this. And when we talked about grace, we used a definition by a pastor, a man named Tullian Chavidian, who said that grace is unconditional acceptance of undeserving persons by an unobligated God. And that's actually where he stopped his definition. So we actually added something to that. I didn't think that was enough of a definition of grace. I like that. It's poetic. I added something that was a lot less poetic but necessarily and true. And that is this. It's not just unconditional acceptance of undeserving persons by an unobligated God. All that is true. But grace is also something that changes us. It transforms us into the image of our good and loving Heavenly Father. And so following on the heels of a sermon series about amazing grace, I want to talk about that last little bit, about the grace that changes us, how the grace of God changes us, and what a life transformed by God's grace looks like, how it's lived out, how it's enacted. And in thinking about it and praying about this, I wanted to make this series very practical. Uh, I wanted to make it like real life, so I want to talk about things like work, and rest, and money, and sex, and relationships. Very practical. And so where would I turn if I wanted to preach on those very practical aspects of life and how grace impacts them? Well, how about the Ten Commandments? Because I want to argue that there is no more practical application of the life of grace than the Ten Commandments. And you might be like, really? The Ten Commandments, the law? I, mean, I don't know what your opinion of the Ten Commandments, the law, is. Maybe you think when you hear that phrase, Ten Commandments or law, uh, for some of you of a certain generation, you think of Charlton Heston in a very old film of him holding up the stone tablets. Some of you, that was your image, wasn't it? Uh, you dated yourself. Um, others of you think the Ten Commandments, you're like, that just seems so stodgy and so old-fashioned. Some of you thought that feels self-righteous, if not, and maybe particularly oppressive. Maybe you just thought it feels irrelevant. Maybe you just feel, I don't even know what that is. What is the content of the Ten Commandments? And maybe for some of you, it's like, that just feels boring. Just feels lifeless. Maybe you resonate with a story that C.S. Lewis's wife, Joy Davidman, tells. Uh, it's a story of an old, uh, it is a 200-year-old story of a very old cannibal who is sitting with a young missionary. A very old cannibal sitting with a young missionary in Africa. And the young missionary was very zealous, he was very earnest, and he was a bit misguided about the Ten Commandments. And so he's been teaching this old cannibal, and the old cannibal says to me, so you're saying to me that I cannot take my neighbor's wife? And the missionary, yeah, that's right. And then the old cannibal says, and I can't steal any of his oxen or his ivory. Yes, you're starting to get it. And he says, and you're also telling me that I must not dance the war dance and then ambush my neighbor and kill him on the path. The mission says, yes, you're getting it. And the cannibal says, but I'm old. I can't do any of these things. I'm too old to commit adultery, too old to steal, too old to murder. Are you saying to me to be old and to be Christian, they are the same thing? Well, today what I want us to do is to debunk both the cannibal's boredom and lifeless view of the Ten Commandments and that missionary's misunderstanding of the Ten Commandments. 
You see, friends, the Ten Commandments were given by God himself at a mountain called Sinai. They were given by God himself to his people. And the literal scene, we're not going to get to this too much today, was literally a mountaintop covered in smoke. Quite possibly a volcano is erupting in the midst of this. And it's to a people who are three months removed from maybe the most massive jailbreak in history where the nation of Israel, 600,000 plus people, have fled from the most powerful nation on earth at that time, Egypt, right? Now the Ten Commandments may have become boring, but they started out anything but boring. I mean, the law of God was given in the midst of a revolution. It was given in the midst of a rebellion against an evil empire. In many ways, the, declara- the, uh, the Ten Commandments are like the Declaration of Independence. If you're American, it's like the Declaration of Independence meets the Bill of Rights. The Ten Commandments are bracing. They are radical. They are life-giving. They are liberating, designed to be ever-fresh, setting us free. One of my favorite images in teaching on the Ten Commandments uh, Tim Keller, a name that is quoted here a lot, he pastored and still lives in New York City. And so he used the image of a skyscraper. And when a great skyscraper goes up, the first thing that goes up is the high steel. And the great building is then hung on that high steel. And Keller suggests that the Ten Commandments are like the high steel on which a great life is hung. If you want to build a life of nobility and courage, Kindness, grace, virtue. If you want to build a life of beauty, the Ten Commandments can undergird and support such a life. Another Manhattanite, Tom Wolfe, the novelist, has said that our generation is unlikely to produce heroes. Our generation is unlikely to produce heroes because we are so in love with ourselves. Well, the Ten Commandments have the capacity to produce heroes Because the Ten Commandments teach us to love God and to love other people. To love God and love other people. You know, one of the burdens for me in this series is actually the youth, the young people, the middle school students, the college students, the high school students. And I'm going to try, I I feel like I'm not the best preacher to your generation, uh, but I am working on it because I really feel like this is so important for young people to build a great life, a beautiful life. The Ten Commandments are the high steel on which such a life can be hung. And so today's an intro sermon to the Ten Commandments. We're not going to get into any of them particularly deeply. But I want to see four things about the Ten Commandments and what they do for us. The first thing the Ten Commandments do for us is they reveal to us the character of God. The second thing the Ten Commandments do for us is they sketch out the contours of a beautiful human life. The third thing the Ten Commandments do, is they expose what is within us, the darkness, the brokenness, the sin within us. And then fourth, finally, and most importantly, the Ten Commandments point us and push us even to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who fulfills the Ten Commandments. So let's get going and first look at how the Ten Commandments reveal the character of God. Now, there's a commentator now, Alec Motier. He has an interesting thought experiment. So stay with me. See if, this, if you follow this. This is a thought experiment to help us understand the relationship of the Ten Commandments to the character of God. Okay? So here's the thought experiment. 
Uh, imagine some set of degrading conditions. Take anything you want from the headlines from the news that, on your news feed this morning. Maybe it's the war in Ukraine. Uh, perhaps it is abject poverty in the south and west side of Chicago. Uh, perhaps it is senseless executions in Iran. Uh, perhaps it is dysfunctional and hurting families on the North Shore. Take your pick of degrading conditions, and when you look at degrading conditions for humans, what do we say? No one should have to live like that. No one should have to live like that. Now, to even have that thought or to make that statement, you have to have some sense of what human nature is supposed to be like, what human nature is actually like to get that sense that things aren't supposed to be that way. And so where do we get that sense of what human life is supposed to be like? The Bible's answer to that question of what humankind is like is that humankind is made in the image of God himself. We are made in the image of God himself, which means we are to live with dignity. We are to live in relationship to both love and to be loved, to know other people and to be known, to work, to rest, because that is who God is, that is who we are. It is the image of God. And the Ten Commandments represent aspects of God's likeness, of his image. The Ten Commandments are expression of who God is. Therefore, what humankind made in his image is meant to be like. The Ten Commandments reveal the character of God himself. This is the reason why Jesus, the Son of God, says in the passage I read just a moment ago, Matthew 5, he says, I did not come to abolish the law, which is the Ten Commandments. I did not come to abolish. I came to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfills the Ten Commandments. He upholds the law, not least because the Ten Commandments reveal to us who God is. And in fact, in Jesus' keeping and fulfilling of the law, we see more clearly who God is. Now, there's a context clue here in Exodus 20 uh, that you cannot miss if you're going to understand God's character and how he deals with us. Context clue that you can't miss, okay? That we're in the second book of the Bible. The first book of the Bible is Genesis. Many of you know that. Genesis, the second book of the Bible is Exodus, good, good. A stars for today. Um, so we're in the second book of the Bible, and we're in the 20th chapter, okay? The 20th chapter is the, book, is, is the Ten Commandments. The first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus are about salvation. They are about redemption, how God our Father has called a people to himself out of bondage in Egypt. These are the story of the plagues, if you know them. This is the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. This is the story of the Passover. That is the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus. Super, super important. This is not Exodus chapter 1. This is Exodus chapter 20. This comes after redemption has been achieved. And it's actually the passage today summarizes that. The very preamble. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 20. It's put, printed for you in your bulletin. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. Before God tells again the Ten Commandments, he reminds people that they are redeemed. That he has moved toward them. He has loved them. He has saved them. Hear this clearly. I will say this every week in some form or fashion. The law of God is not given in order to save you, to redeem you. The law of God is given because you have been redeemed. A people who have been redeemed and delivered and saved unto what? 
to live out the Ten Commandments, to be like God. You see, liberation is no advantage if it's not somehow consolidated into structures that preserve community, that preserve freedom, and foster love. Okay? Freedom is nothing unless it holds on to those things, and that's what the Ten Commandments are for. In fact, I wish I'd printed these verses, but in Matthew 22, uh, a, a religious leader comes to Jesus and he says, uh, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus famously says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. That is a summary, friends. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. That is a summary of the first five commandments. And then he goes on, Jesus says in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is a summary of the second five commandments. Which is to say the law of God is given to us amidst love, amidst salvation. But the law of God is also given unto love. That we would love God and that we would love other people. Why? Here's the context clue. Because the character of God is love. He loves his people He wants us to love him and other people. God is love. And the Ten Commandments reveal who he is that we might be people who love him and others. So the first thing the law does for us is it reveals the character of God. And as it reveals the character of God, it also does something. And this is the second point. The Ten Commandments sketch the contours. They sketch the contours of a beautifully lived human life. Now, a couple things to note here, and I'm going to back, I, 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 I'm going to try to be consistent, but I might use law or Ten Commandments. I might even say Ten Words or Decalogue. I'm going to try to be consistent and just say Ten Commandments, but they all, they all, I'm talking about the same thing. But it's interesting, the Bible actually never uses the phrase Ten Commandments. It actually never says Ten Commandments. It actually does use the phrase Ten Words. It uses Ten Words, which if you know Latin, the word Decalogue, if you've heard that, if you're a nerd like me, um, Decalogue means ten words, okay? But it's interesting because ten words is actually a little bit more helpful because the ten commandments are not so much rules to obey as they are teachings on how to live. They're not about a law, about how to obey, but about how to live. Peter Lightheart, a very provocative and uh, thoughtful theologian, says he's helpful and he suggests a good way to understand the ten commandments is a father-to-son talk. Or a parent-to-child talk. That God has called his people out of their bad father, Pharaoh of Egypt. And he is giving them a good father, becoming their good father. This is a talk that gives direction. It gives purpose. It gives order to life. It gives wisdom. This is a talk that attempts to form the child into the image of our heavenly father, God. So the Ten Commandments are a guide. They're a path on which to walk. Now, some people, when you hear, read the Ten Commandments, and we did them for our confession of sin this morning, as we will many times during the course of this sermon series, one of the responses to the Ten Commandments is, they're just so negative. You know, they're just, all, so many of them are, thou shall not. No, 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 no. Right? Well, a couple of things about that. First is this, there's no such thing as absolute freedom, right? Right? Things are not free to do whatever they please. Things are free when they become what they are designed to be, created by God. An acorn, right? An acorn is free to become an oak tree. An acorn is not free to become an elephant. But there's also this about the negative commands. A negative command, if you think about it, 
is actually far more liberating than a positive one because a positive command restricts, restricts a course of action to one thing. You've got to do this, do this, do one thing. But a negative command leaves life wide open to every course of action except one. This is one of the reasons the New Testament writer, the brother of Jesus, James, in the New Testament, call, twice calls the law, the Ten Commandments, he calls it the law of liberty, the law of freedom. And this is why I love one of the great, this is all over the Psalms, but Psalm 119, verse 32 says, I will run in the way of your commandments for your heart, for, for you set my heart free. The law of perfect liberty. We tend to think of virtue as grim and joyless, keeping the commandments as grim and joyless. It seldom occurs to us that actually virtue might be a pleasure. And not only that, but the cultivation of virtue is actually how we enhance love and make it beautiful. Let me illustrate this way. Let's talk about sex. Uh, let's talk briefly about adultery. I want you to consider... Which is more attractive? Which is more beautiful? A couple who has been married for 50 years, they still hold hands in public. They still go to bed cuddling each other every night. They've had their fights. They've raised their children. But they're still, not just passively, but they're still passionately in love with one another. They're still committed to one another. Is that more beautiful? Or is the person who is jet-setted around the world, hopping from hotel room to hotel room with different lovers all around the world, leaving children and broken relationships in their way? Which is more beautiful? Which is more lovely? You see, again, friends, the Ten Commandments are the high steel upon which a great life can be hung. But we have a problem, don't we? <laughs> I got a problem. I'm a, I know you do too. Actually, I'm going to even be rhetorical about it. you got a problem too. That's this. None of us keep the Ten Commandments. In fact, if you're honest, I'll be honest, I don't keep any of them. Okay? Neither do you if you're honest. We have a problem. And that brings us, that brings us to the third thing. We've seen how the Ten Commandments reveal the character of God, how they sketch the contours of a beautiful human life. But the third thing about the Ten Commandments is they expose us, the brokenness and the sin within. Look with me real briefly at Romans chapter 7. What then shall we say, verse 7, that the law is sin? By no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Now, this gets to the role of law in our personal salvation, because the law does have a role in our personal salvation. It's just maybe not the role that you think. Let me say this clearly. I've already said it once. Again, I'm going to say this multiple times every week. Obeying the Ten Commandments, keeping the law, following God's commands does not, cannot, will not, has never saved anyone. A, because nobody does it. B, because it's not designed to do that. I mean, you're like, well, what about the Old Testament? You know, what about Abraham and Moses and David, some of these people from the Old Testament? Weren't they saved by keeping the law? They were not. They were saved by the grace of God, and their faith looked forward to Christ, just as our faith looks backwards to Christ and forwards to Christ. We are all, all of us, throughout eternity, saved by grace through faith. Galatians 3.16 says, by the works of the law, no one, not Abraham, not you, not me, no one will be justified. 
Keeping the commandments does not save you. But what the commandments do do, what they do for us, is they expose our shortcomings, our brokenness, our sin. Let me use two images. First, the law is like, it's like a mirror. It's like a mirror maybe that talks back to you. It lets us see ourselves more clearly. Maybe it's like one of those vanity mirrors that like magnifies your face and like has the bright light. Uh, there may be one of those in my home. Not on my side, uh, but there may be one of those on my home. But what do you think of that? But that mirror, it reveals the imperfections, right? But you don't use that mirror to wash your face. It can't clean you. It just shows you where you are dirty. Second image, I recently went to um, the dermatologist and for like an annual checkup. And the dermatologist, what are they, they use an infrared light, right? And they just go over your whole body looking for imperfections. For pre, they found something, they actually had to cut out, right? You're looking, it exposes what is wrong. Whether it's a mirror or an infrared light that exposes the, the role of the law, the role of the law is to expose the sin, the darkness, the brokenness within us. So this morning, um, I, one of the first things I do in the, on mornings I'm going to preach is I get up and I spend some time praying. You know, you got to get your heart right. You know, where I, I'm from Texas. you got to get your heart right. Um, so, uh, sorry. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm going to do a little experiment. I'm going to take this sermon. I'm going to apply it to my life. I'm going to apply it to yesterday. And I started start thinking about my yesterday. And I was like, you know what? I was, I was really impatient with my son. I have a seven-year-old son. I was very impatient with my seven-year-old son. Nothing happened. There was no discipline. Don't worry. Nothing happened. But inside, he may not even have felt it, although he probably did. I was impatient, and he really hadn't done anything wrong. I was like, why was I impatient? And I kind of started thinking about my sermon, thinking it through. I was like, oh, I violated the first commandment. I want to be God, and what he wanted to do was getting in my way. Okay? But so, I, more, I thought about it more. And it's actually not just a violation of the first commandment because I want to be God and do things my way. But it's also a violation of the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Don't worry. But stay with me. (laughs) Didn't hit my son. But think about what murder is. Murder is somebody is in your way and you don't like it. They represent something. Maybe they have something you want. They're keeping you from something. And so you want to remove them. And so when, we get, when I get impatient with my son, there's something in him that I want to remove. And so when I am impatient with him in a sinful way, that is breaking the sixth commandment. Okay? So, ever felt that way with your children? How, never, right? Never. Never. How about, your, how about your spouse? If you've never thought about getting your spouse out of the way, I'll just say it that way, you haven't been married long enough. Or even, and I have permission to use this, when I was walking this through with my wife this morning, uh, she's like, oh yeah, what about that time yesterday when I got mad at that person in traffic? We were together, she, I was driving, uh, she got mad at somebody who pulled out in front of us for two seconds. Uh, somebody is in our way, and we want them out of our way. Do you see? We all, the law of God, if you will let it, will expose the darkness within you. And friends, our instincts when we face the law of God in this bright light is we want to dim the floodlight. We want to turn it down. We want to make it, we don't, we want to, oh, it's because my son is seven years old and he's impatient, he's tired. We want to rationalize it, right? We want to make excuses, explain it away. It's Peter's fault, my son, that I am impatient. Verse 19, chapter 5, Jesus speaking. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same 
will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. We want to turn down the heat of that light. Joseph Conrad, the novelist from last century, spoke of the artful dodges that we have to protect ourselves from our own self-knowledge. You know, we'll do anything to protect ourselves from really seeing ourselves clearly. Will we let the law of God expose us for who we are? Let the law of God show you your heart. It's actually liberating. We're coming to that in just a moment. This isn't depressing. One preacher friend of mine tells the story, Brian Habig, of the Allied forces after World War II. They forced German citizens to go with them to help clean up the concentration camps. Not just cleaning, but they wanted, them to, they wanted to force them to see it, to smell what they had done, what they had allowed to happen. The law of God exposes us and it marches us through our own hearts to see and to smell. You see, friends, we want to think we're not that bad. We want to compare ourselves to other people who we think are worse than us. But the law of God is a mirror. It's an infrared light that exposes, right? It exposes us. But not that we might wallow. Why is a smile on my face? Because not that we might wallow. But because we might flee to Jesus Christ. The Ten Commandments expose our hearts. But that doesn't stop there. Brings me to my fourth and final point. The Ten Commandments, they point us to, but that's not active a verb enough. They push us to Jesus Christ. My great, I think it was Augustine who said it, the law of God is like a whip that drives us to Christ. Not a whip that hits us, but a wife that drives us to Jesus. Verse 17 again of Matthew 5, Jesus speaking, I have not come to, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill Jesus comes as the first human being to ever keep the law, to obey the law. But it's not just obeying, he actually fulfills it. He fulfills the law of God. So we hold up the Ten Commandments, and at first it leads us to despair. But then we realize, because we can't do it, we don't do it. But then we realize Jesus did it. He kept the commands for us. And not only that, he died for commandment breakers like you and me, paying the penalty that we deserved. You see, the law of God, it drives us to Jesus to see him in his perfections, how he both keeps the commandments and also died because we broke the commandments, paying the penalty for our sins. Jesus fulfilled the law, not just by obeying, but by his whole life, the course of his whole life. And as we realize that Jesus has done that for us, we can move forth in love and obedience. So as we make our way through this sermon series, I'm going to give you three little takeaways uh, to think about for the Ten Commandments, really for every commandment and every week. And I'll alliterate them just because I love you. Learn the law of God, look to the right place, and love. Learn, look, love. First, learn. Learn the Ten Commandments. Memorize them. Pray them. Let them shine a light on your heart. Whatever the equivalent for you is of what I did this morning, do that for yourself. Let them guide you. Let them expose you. When Martin Luther, the great, maybe arguably the greatest theologian of all time, at least of what he rediscovered, Martin Luther, when he was late in his career, in his 50s, maybe even his 60s, he wrote this. Martin Luther, although I am an indeed an old doctor, I never move on from the childish doctrine of the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. I still daily, daily 
learn and pray them with my little Hans and my little Linda. Those are his children. Martin Luther, who literally, his, I've seen the English version of his translation. It's like 76 volumes. That's an abridged version. His, like, this is how much theology he wrote. <laughs> Hundreds, millions of words. His, and he's still daily spending time in the Ten Commandments, teaching his children, but also saying that I learn. Learn the Ten Commandments. Second, look. Because if you hear these sermons, or if you hear the Ten Commandments, like, I got to do better. I'm going to white knuckle it. Friends, white knuckling it never works. Look to the one who fulfilled the law. Look to Jesus. He kept the law. He paid for our law breaking. I love the line that we sang just a moment ago from come you, I love that hymn, come you sinners. If you tarry, which means if you go slowly, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. And in the words of the song that we're about to sing, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Don't white knuckle it. Look to the one who has fulfilled the law for you and it will transform you. So first learn, second look, third love. If you really start to understand the Ten Commandments, they will not make you judgmental. They will break your heart. Brian Habig, let me read this sentence from his sermon on this text. He says this, You will know Jesus has reframed your understanding of the Ten Commandments when you are more empathetic with other commandment breakers. This is how you know you're getting the Ten Commandments when you find yourself loving commandment breakers more and more and more. That's when the Ten Commandments have been reframed by what Jesus has done. Loving other people. But then, of course, the Ten Commandments draw us and point us to the love of God himself. He gave us these commandments that we might know who he is, that we might be more like him, and that we might know the love that he has for us given in the person of Jesus Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and self, and, 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 self, and love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, this is the law of perfect freedom. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our God, we pray that these words would penetrate our hearts, that they would expose what is broken within us so that it might be transformed by your love, that you kept the commandments, Lord Jesus, but you also died for commandment breakers like us so that we might be changed, so that we might live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.